realize that Satan has absolutely no creative power whatsoever? He's never created a single pleasure ever. So what he does is he has to take the things that God has created and intended for our pleasure and distort them and twist them and take them outside of the boundaries God has intended. Sin is taking a God-given desire and using it in a God-forbidden way. And that's what Satan has done from the earliest pages of Scripture. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Over the last few weeks, we've been learning what it takes to have a strong marriage in the series, Marriage Matters. Today, Pastor Trent continues with a message relevant to all of us. It's the matter of moral purity. Whatever your age or marital status, God's Word cautions us to guard ourselves against every form of immorality and impurity. Well, how can we avoid the traps that seem to surround us in an age of sensuality? Here's Pastor Trent with 10 intentional choices that we should make to win the war waged against our own moral purity. Now, some of today's content might not be suitable for young children, so please be advised. Here's Pastor Trent. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Matthew. We've got to chapter 19, and we've hit the brakes, and we've slowed way down to look very closely at about 12 verses. In Matthew 19, we've continued to read the same few verses, and I want you to look with me again at verse 5. Jesus is answering a question that the Pharisees came to ask about divorce. Jesus didn't want to talk about divorce. He wanted to talk about marriage. So he takes them all the way back to the first pages of their Bible and reminds them of this truth in verse 5. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Pharisees weren't satisfied with his answer, so they come at him again with another question. In verse 7, they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Now Jesus addresses their question about divorce and says, Here's the reason for divorce. He said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart. Divorce is a matter of the heart. And what makes the heart revealed is what you do sexually. That's why he says this, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So Jesus exposes the most powerful tool in the hand of Satan to destroy a marriage, and that is sexual shame. And Jesus said it wasn't this way from the beginning. He wants us to know this morning that when we talk about the matter of sexual sin, it wasn't that way from the beginning. God created sex without shame. The verse that Jesus took them to in Genesis on the first couple of pages of your Bible was Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. The verse that follows verse 24 when he says, a man shall leave his father and mother 
and hold fast to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh, the very next verse is one of the most exciting verses in the Bible. Verse 25 says this, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? If you're married, right? God created sex without shame, and yet you and I live in a shameful culture that has taken sex and made it an unholy thing. Wasn't that way from the beginning. Sex has never been a four-letter word, to state the obvious. It's not a dirty word. It's a holy thing that God created within the context of marriage to be enjoyed. It's, it, it's like your fireplace. you got a fireplace in your home. You take a, a log, you throw it in the fireplace, you ignite it, and it, it combusts, and it's a beautiful thing, and it's a powerful thing, and it creates warmth in the home. But you let that log roll out of the context of the fireplace onto the living room carpet. Now you've got a problem. You've got a destructive thing that has the capacity to burn down the whole home. Such is the case with sex. God created it beautiful. God created it powerful within the context and the confines of heterosexual marriage. But what's happened in our culture, and even from the earliest pages of Scripture we're going to see here in a minute, is the log has rolled out of its confinement, and it's now a very dangerous thing. So we have to understand that what God created as holy has become an unholy thing outside of its boundaries. The Bible teaches that all forms of sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage is unholy and to be avoided. It is forbidden outside the context of marriage. That includes fornication, adultery, rape, polygamy, pornography, prostitution, friends with benefits, pedophilia, incest, bisexuality, homosexuality, and bestiality. It's unholy. And we find that Satan has taken what is holy and made it a very unholy thing. Do you realize that Satan has absolutely no creative power whatsoever? He's never created a single pleasure ever. He has no power to do that. So what he does is he has to take the things that God has created and intended for our pleasure and distort them and twist them and take them outside of the boundaries God has intended. Sin is taking a God-given desire and using it in a God-forbidden way. And that's what Satan has done from the earliest pages of Scripture. Point number two, sin creates sexual shame. Sin has introduced all kinds of distortion to God's plan. You begin to read through the book of Genesis, and before you ever get out of the book of Genesis, the first 25 pages of your Bible, we're introduced to polygamy in chapter 4, pornography in chapter 9, adultery in chapter 16, homosexuality in chapter 19, incest in chapter 19, rape in chapter 34, incest and prostitution in chapter 38, and the first desperate housewife in chapter 39. That's the first 25 pages of the Bible. It all started in chapter 4 after Adam and Eve had sinned and about eight generations passed down and finally we get to a guy named Lemek. We don't know anything about Lemek except one thing. The Bible simply says, 
Lamech took two wives. Shameful. Discontent with what God had provided, he created a new plan. And everything has been unraveling ever since. But let's not talk about what was happening like, you know, 10,000, 6,000, 5,000, 4,000 years ago. Let's talk about what was happening today. Has it gotten any better? In the last 40 years, we've given Satan more tools in his arsenal. Pornography has become the wallpaper of our culture. Yesterday afternoon, Zach and I, my 15-year-old son, went to, um, to, to buy some things that he needed. He's going to camp this next week, and so we went to Target, and he needed a toiletry bag. So we went to one side of Target where the toiletry bag section was, and we got a toiletry bag, and then we needed to go find the shaving cream. It was on the other side of the store. Guess what lies between the toiletry bag department and the shaving cream department at Target? Women's underwear. Do you know that there were, I saw in Target, five women wearing nothing but their underwear. Now, if they had walked through the front door, they would have been arrested. But the the brains of Target decided to take pictures of them and and expand them and and hang them so that me and my 15-year-old son would become the target of the enemy in Target. And so we're walking and trying to navigate our way through Target, and I just said to Zach something he's heard about a thousand times as we've walked through malls and stores. I just said, eyes right. <laughs> and he knows that, what that means. It's like, if, if you're going to avoid being the target, you're going to need to look to the right because there's something on the left that, that is going to make you the target. Sometimes he hears, eyes left. Sometimes we just, he looks at me and says, Dad, just close your eyes. Just, just look down. There is no way we're getting through this without becoming the target, right? And what are we trying to do? We're, we're trying to avoid the sexual shame, but it's coming at us at a force that it's never come at us before. It's, it's coming looking for you and me. And it's going to require some incredible intentionality on our part if we're going to avoid becoming a victim of the target. In our culture, more money is spent on pornography than professional football, professional baseball, and professional basketball combined. 11,000 pornographic movies are produced every year. That's 20 times more movies that are mainline and make it into theaters. It's coming at us at a force it's never come. 61% of all high school students admit to have already had sexual intercourse. About half of those are currently sexually active. 21% admit admit to having four or more sexual partners. By their graduation date, students will have watched 15,000 hours of television compared to only 12,000 hours of actually being in school. And while they're watching, what they will see is 14,000 sexual references every year as they're watching, with only about 165 of those being something that would encourage self-control and abstinence. The number one search word on the internet is sex. Also in the top 20 are porn, nude, and playboy. It's available in a way that it's never been before. And it's shameful in its activity. And some of us here 
are victims. Now, some of us here are guilty of performing sexually shameful activity either personally and privately before God, because He sees it all, or performing sexually shameful activity on someone else. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Some of us have been the victims of shameful sexual activity, and you need to hear that God is a God can, that can take ashes and make them into beautiful things, as you heard Steve share a moment ago. Some of us here have so seared our conscience that, that you're, just, you're not even affected by this message right now because you think there's nothing wrong with it. And that's true if you're not a Christian. Because here we're calling people to live distinctly Christian lives and enjoy the pleasures of God-given desires within the context of God-given boundaries. So we need to understand something here. Sexual sin can be defeated. Some of you, that was worth the price of the whole message. You said it didn't pay a price. It was still worth it. Some of you just need to know victory is possible. And so I'm going to give you 10 intentional choices that all of us are going to need to make if we are going to win the war, avoid sexual immorality, preserve our marriages, and enjoy the pleasures that God has given us in a completely shame-free environment. You can live shame-free. First thing you need to do is this. Receive Jesus as Lord of your sexuality. Please understand this. If Jesus is not Lord of your sexuality, Jesus is not Lord of you. And if He is not Lord, you have no power even to resist the temptation that's coming your way. And so right now, I invite you to receive Him and get the power that you need to win the war and fight the battle. He says, finally, therefore... Now, by the way, before I jump into this, normally we dive right into a Scripture verse and we stay right there on the same page and we kind of unpack it here. I, my intention right now is just to flood your mind with Scripture-washing truth, okay? And so we're, you're going to hear a lot of it and in order to save time, instead of flipping around the Bible and stuff, I'm just going to throw it up on the, the screen. But I don't want that to in any way minimize the fact that you need your face in the Bible, in your Bible, marking it up, hearing God speak to your heart, okay? So notice this. It says, finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you. This is an urgent matter. Urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Notice, we're never quite finished in this process. Today, I've got to have a little more urgency and walk a little more obediently than I did before. That's called the process of sanctification. He says, for you know what instructions we gave you through who? Through the Lord Jesus. This is an issue of lordship. If you claim Jesus is Lord, then you must deal with your sexuality. He goes on and says this, for this is the will of God. I know many of you kind of wonder, what is the will of God? How can I find out what the will of God is? Here's one thing that is, there is no question what the will of God is for you right now, today. Here's the will of God. It's your sanctification. That is the process of becoming more like Jesus after you have had a point 
of being justified by Jesus. There is the point of salvation for every person where you cross from death to life, lost to saved, guilty to pardoned. That is a point. It happens at a point in time. If you have never had a point of salvation, you have never begun the process of sanctification. If you've never been saved, today you need a point. Today is your point of salvation. So you begin the process of sanctification where God cleans up your life. So that's God's will for you. It's God's will for you to be saved. It's God's will for you to be clean. And it's a sanctification process. Here's part of the sanctification. Abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to possess his own body in holiness and honor. Some of you hear the word holiness and you think, oh, we're talking about legalistic rules. No, we're not. Your conscience has been so seared that every time you hear somebody calling you to a standard of obedience, you just start waving the flag, you're a legalist. No, we are called to holiness. It's the will of God that we do things in our walk and in our behavior and in our body so that we don't get caught up in sexually shameful things. He said it's God's will that you possess your own body in holiness and in honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now, if you do not know God, nobody expects you to try to win the war against lust and passion and sexual immorality. You have no power to do it. Nobody expects a person who does not know God to live as though they do. And if you don't live like you know God, do you know why? It's because you don't know God. Today, you can know Him. You open your heart up. You confess your sin in brokenness and humility like you heard Steve talk about. You come to Him. You acknowledge your shame. And you let that shame drive you to a merciful God. You can get a brand new start. You can have cleansing and washing and freedom. And you can be set free from the sexual shame. But only for those who will repent and believe the gospel. He goes on and says this. That no one transgress and wrong his brother. Sexual sin involves my vertical sin sin against God. It involves an internal sin against my own body. And it involves external sin against those that I sin against sexually. This is damaging stuff. It's dangerous stuff. Don't wrong your brother in this matter. Because the Lord, he goes vertical again, here's your motivation, the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness, therefore whoever disregards this. If you're sitting here right now and you're crossing your arms saying, who's he to tell me that I can't do this and I have a right to do that and all those old rules in the Bible, that's for another generation and We've been liberated and we've evolved. No, we've devolved to the level of a dog in heat. We need purity in our sexuality. For whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his whole, what kind of spirit? Holy Spirit to you. If you claim to be a Christian and you claim to have the Spirit of God on the inside of you, you have the power to win the war against sexual shame. 
Number two, resolve to be morally pure. Make up your mind. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action. The time to decide that you are going to be sexually pure is not when you're walking through the mall and see Victoria's Secret. I've always wondered why they think it's a secret. It looks like nothing hidden in there. I mean, it's just, it's just all out in the open. The time to decide whether or not you're going to be sexually pure is not when you're out on a date. The time to decide where you're going to draw the line is before you get online. It's not in the heat of the moment. It is preparing your minds for action. The time to resolve to be morally pure is right here on a Sunday morning surrounded by Christians with your Bible open, God speaking to your heart, and somebody urgently, clearly telling you that God wants you to be pure. You decide it now so that on Friday night, your mind's made up. You've prepared your mind for action. Being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions from your former ignorance. Everybody here has a sexual past. One of the lies of the enemy is to try to convince you that you are the only one in this room who struggles with sexual shame. I would like to do a little counterattack right now on your, your enemy. If you have things in your past that you regret, man, I wish I could have done this different. If I'd known now what I know then, if I'd known the damage that I was causing, and here I am living with all the guilt and stuff, I just wish I had done something different. I wish I hadn't looked at that. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't gone there. I wish I hadn't touched her. I, all of those things. If you have some type of regret in the area of your sexuality in your past, would you please raise your hand? Keep it there for a minute. I mean, that's almost everybody in this room. You can put it down. This is something that is part of our past. It was when we were ignorant of God's grace and ignorant of God's holiness. Now that God has turned the light on, we can move forward in the present and the future in purity. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. Now, a lot of people look at that and say, yeah, you're talking about a positional holiness. I mean, God, he, he makes me positionally holy when I'm in Christ. And I, under, I understand that. It's positional holiness. That's not what this verse is talking about. That is true, but that's not what this verse is talking about. He is calling you to be holy in all your conduct. Not positional holiness. Practical holiness. What you do with your hands and your eyes and your feet and your lips and your tongue and your texting and your emailing and your Googling. He's talking about what you do with your conduct. Be holy, resolve to be pure. I'm calling you today as a people of God to be morally pure. Number three, rely on the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you are already saying, yeah, I'm feeling really guilty right now. I'm, I'm going to try harder. I, I'm going to do better. That's going to work for about 18 minutes, and you're going to fail. The reason I know that is because you've done that before, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to stop. Yeah, it's not going to work because you're relying upon your own self-effort. What you need, just like Steve said, is to be emptied of all of yourself, understand there's nothing good in me to overcome this, and I need to be 
filled with the power and the purity of God's Spirit. Galatians 5.16, which Steve referenced, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Number four, remember the consequences of sexual sin. James 1, verses 14 and 15, tell us how sin develops in our heart. Each person is tempted when he is lured. You got any fishermen in here? You any fishing lures? Looks really nice to a fish. Looks nasty to us, but it looks really good to a fish. Satan knows this about you too. He knows what he can put in you that looks really nasty to God, but looks really good to you. And different fish respond to different kind of lures, don't they? He knows the kind of fish you respond to. And that's the lure he puts on the hook to lure you in. You say, yeah, this devil made me do it. No, 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 no. Read the rest of the verse. When he is lured and enticed by his own desire... The problem of temptation is not external, it's internal. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth what? Death. Just like the fish that grabs the lure and it's reeled in, and pretty soon you are eaten for lunch by the enemy. Desire, sin, death. That's the combination that the enemy uses to destroy purity in your life. I I have a list that I go through in my head when I'm tempted and I think, where's this going to end up? It might have a short-term pleasure, but if if I let it conceive and if it gives birth and it grows up, it's going to be the ugliest child I've ever seen. I don't want that in my life, so I need to remember what sin does. What does sin do? Sin dulls my conscience. Sin distorts the glory of God. Sin generates guilt. Sin ruins my testimony. Sin strips my confidence. Sin destroys intimacy with God. Sin hurts my family. Sin shames my legacy. Sin kills my Savior. And sin will send me to hell to burn forever under the just wrath of God if I do not repent and believe the gospel. Next time you're tempted to say, ooh, she's hot. You remember hell is too? Remember the consequences of sexual sin. You might just want to put this down too. And remember the benefits of blessing God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget none of His benefits. If you want the benefits of God, live a sexually pure life. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul urges the church to abstain from sexual immorality, to control their bodies in holiness and honor, and to be careful not to sin against the moral purity of others. Pastor Trent Griffith challenged us with the same truths that are just as relevant for us today. The first decision we must make in living a morally pure life is to invite Jesus to be Lord over every part including our sexuality. I hope you've made that important decision. Each week at Harvest Bible Chapel, 
The Word of God is proclaimed as boldly as you've heard it here today. If you're looking for a church where you'll be challenged to grow in your walk with Christ, we love to invite you to a weekend worship service on our Granger, Indiana or a St. Joseph, Michigan campus. For service times and campus locations, go to harvestgranger.org. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus. I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger, harvestgranger.org.